Welcome back, addicts. Yes, welcome back to episode four. Episode four. So what it is today's episode? Well, first off, I'm your host, Melissa Mitchell. Oh, yes. Sorry about that. <laughs> and I'm your other host, Thad Mitchell. The one who loses track of what we're doing. Well, sometimes. I just get so eager to get this I done, know. you know. I just want to get it uh, out there so people can hear it. You're addicted to learning. You're ready to get going and learn some stuff. That's right. And to share what we've learned, too. Yeah. So, so go ahead. Okay. So, uh, today's episode is from our oceanography section, uh, specifically, how do electric eels work? And not just electric eels, like any animal that uses electricity, which is just odd to me that an animal can produce electricity. Like, why? Well, even in water. Especially in water. I mean, the two biggest, or basically the the two animals that I found that can use this electricity for attack and defense are aquatic, which is just weird because... To us, electricity and water don't go together. Right. Like a toaster in a bathtub. Funny you say that. But yes. Really? (laughs) Yes. Well, since I don't know what you've, you know, what Right. The way we do these episodes is that one of us will do the research and then, you know, we'll record the episode. That way, all the information that you're getting is new to the other person as well. Yes, so I am intrigued. Yes. Well, there's a couple things that I did find that I was just like, really? So, we'll get into that. Yes, do tell. Um. Okay, starting with the electric eel. Now, I found several different animals that it references the use of electricity. The electric eel and the torpedo ray are the only two I found that use it for attack and defense. But there's a bunch of other animals that use it for locating prey, for, you know, figuring out where they're going, um, help them find food sources, uh, not not necessarily prey, um, like the bumblebee Mm -hmm. uses it to, you know, it uses it. There's a a wasp that uses it, Uh, dolphins. Uh, sharks, uh, the platypus, you know, which they all use it to navigate their surroundings and and hunt and stuff, which I thought that was interesting. And it's like, once you read about it, you're like, okay, yeah, I think I've heard that before. Yeah. But the torpedo ray and the electric eel are the only two that use that on an offensive scale versus just information gathering um so let's start with the electric eel it's actually not an eel no no it is more under the classification of a knife fish which is more closely related to a catfish you said a knife a knife fish like stabby stabby poke poke okay um a knife fish is they basically just have long bodies and they've got one long fin that runs the length of their body uh, called an anal fin. And so it's not an eel because it has a fin and I don't think eels have any fins. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, so it's not actually an eel. It's, it's 
closely related to the catfish. Okay. But these things can get up to eight feet long. Eight? That's the max. Well, the way, the thing I, the most information I found was that it can, they can get anywhere between six to eight feet. Oh, okay. So, that's still pretty huge. Yeah. Well, you imagine, I look at it like if you're going to set it up against, um, like a basketball player, basketball players, the tallest ones are around what seven feet. I I would say. So but if I mean, you were to average, line it up, the average yeah. male now is about six foot. Right, but, but there, there are some people that are oh, taller yeah. than that. So I mean, Yao Ming was what nine? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And he, that, I mean, that is pretty tall. If you've seen pictures, he's he's a tall dude. Very much. But anyway, these things can get between six and eight feet. And up to 44 pounds, which you think 44 pounds is not really a whole lot. But I mean, this this fish is like, I mean, it's long, but it's not wide. I mean, heck, our one-year-old almost weighs 44 pounds. Little chunk of butt. (laughs) Anyway, um, so they have long cylindrical bodies, flattened heads. Uh, They're generally dark green or gray on the top with like a yellowish underbelly. Mm Mm-hmm. The scientific name is Electrophorus electricus. Uh, It's a South American fish. It's the only species in its genus because it's the only one that uses electricity. You know, the other forms of night fish, knife fish, sorry, uh, they don't do that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, They're typically nocturnal and they are almost exclusively freshwater uh, although some, especially in the knife fish family, some of them may visit brackish waters to feed, which brackish is where uh, freshwater and salt water mix. Yeah. Um, they're the largest species. Why is that such a hard word for me to say? Well, you know, I had struggled last time, so it's okay. Uh, anyway, forgive my stumbling. It's the largest species... Of gymnotiforms, which is, I guess, the genus that electric eels are in. I'm not sure. I saw the word pop up a lot, but okay. So a gymnotiform, I hope I'm saying that right. Forgive me if I'm not. Is a group of teleost bony fish, um, commonly known as the Neotropic or South American knife fish. And teleost is basically just a large group that comprises all of the, like, Ray finned fish, um, but doesn't include like sturgeons, paddlefish, freshwater gars. So it's it's just like a large bony fish that I don't know how to describe it. It's I was trying to do the research so that way I could best explain exactly the terminologies. Right. But I don't think I'm doing a very good job. No, that's okay. I mean. It's not really your field of expertise. You're just learning about it. Right. And I'm trying to... Anyway, moving on. One thing I found out that was weird is that the electric eel is an obligate air breather. Say what now? It's an obligate air breather, which means it it either has to 
or it largely breathes air. It has to. Yeah. Like dolphins and whales and us. Yeah. Uh, they have to come to the surface roughly every 10 minutes or so to inhale before going back to the bottom. That's interesting because every electric... E- I'm sorry, electric eel video I've seen or image. I haven't seen one that's above water. It's just usually in the ocean. Right, right. Peeking out of a coral. Right, and that's where I thought it was odd too. I was like, I've never heard of that. But they get nearly 80% of the oxygen they use by breathing air. Hmm. So I guess they can get some oxygen from the water, but 80% of the oxygen that they get is from breathing air, which I'd never heard of before. Yeah, uh, that's fascinating because I've, like I said, I've never heard of that either. Yeah, I. that's why I was like, what? So going into how the electric eel produces electricity, uh, they have three uh, pairs of... Dub- uh, pairs of abdominal organs if i can get my tongue to work they have three pairs of abdominal organs that produce electricity the main organ the hunter's organ and the sax organ now that's spelled s-a-c-h so i assume it's pronounced sax yeah okay the sax organ is associated with echolocation now that's like what Dolphins use to find their food, and uh, so the sax organ helps the electric eel kind of do the same thing. Inside this organ are muscle-like cells called electrocytes, and each cell can only produce like 0.15 volts, and this organ can transmit a signal of nearly 10 volts. Okay, so... And that's just this this one particular organ. And that's, well, 9 volts, you know, 9 volt that's battery. That's a battery, yeah. yeah. So you have to put it in perspective. 9 volt batteries, you could stick your tongue on it, get a little zap. Right, but keep in mind, that's just this one organ. Right. I'm just okay. trying to put that in perspective. Right. So, Real quick, though, I want to throw this out. An electrical outlet, like at your house, is about 118 to 120 uh, volts that it puts out. So, obviously, it's going to be a lot bigger shock, you know, if you get hit by that surge. So, with the electric eels, one part of its body, which you said is 10 volts... Right, yeah, it's nearly 10 volts and an overall amplitude of around 25 hertz. Okay. Which is funny, hurts because it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but those signals that the sax organ produces get emitted by the main organ. And the hunter organ can emit signals at rates of several hundred hertz. Several so, hundred. Yes, that's the hunter's organ. Well, that would make sense why it's called the hunter's organ. Yeah, it's going to hunt you down that's right you always hear the term hertz and volts and me personally i never really understood exactly what that meant so i looked it up and a hertz is it's a measure of frequency but one hertz basically means one vibration in a second so if something's a hundred hertz that whatever that is is vibrating 100 times within one second right now that's a hertz now imagine what a megahertz is. Oh, I, d- I didn't go into megahertz. <laughs> so anyway, these three organs make up four-fifths or about 80% 
of its body. So the vast majority of the electric eel's body it isn't its its brain or its lungs or its stomach. It's just these three organs that help it produce electricity to hunt and navigate and everything else. So that in itself is just like, it tells you how significant the use of electricity is for this fish, that it takes up 80% of its body. Yeah. You know, forget reproductive organs, digestion. It's it's, it's like having a car and 80% of your car is the engine. And everything else is just... And everything else is... Bells and whistles and... Places for you to sit, put your stuff... Mm-hmm. air conditioning you know that'd be a really uncomfortable car to me okay so these these organs can produce two two types of voltages low voltage and high voltage the low voltage actually let me back up the the organs themselves as i mentioned before are made up made up of electrocytes and these electrocytes are lined up so that a current of ions can flow through them and they're stacked so that each one adds to the potential difference. So the more cell, like I said, a lot of creatures have these or some variation of these organs, but depending on the number of electrocytes in those organs varies per animal. So the electric eel has enough that by the time these ions start flowing through the electrocytes, it builds up such a charge that it can use it for attack and defense, whereas most other animals can't. But it has to charge it up, and then once it... Right, but they can do that very quickly. Oh, okay. And the electric eel also has uh, motion-sensitive hairs along its body so that when it thinks that there's prey nearby, it sends a signal through its nervous system to those electrocytes. And so that opens up the ion channels, and it makes sodium flow through, which... reverses their polarity which creates the battery charge the sudden difference in electrical potential is what generates the electric current like a battery Um, and this when they think there's prey nearby they emit signals in two rapid electric pulses called the doublet and this doublet affects the muscles of the prey which causes it to twitch involuntarily so this fish could just be swimming along all of a sudden it just it just jerks. And by it jerk twitching, that tells the electric eel that, yeah, that's prey. And then the electric eel sends a series of high voltage pulses as much as 400 per second, which then either paraly- which paralyzes its prey so that it can eat it. And this entire process happens so quickly that it's difficult for the human eye to observe it. So what you're saying is that an electric eel... If it senses there's a prey mm-hmm. nearby, mm-hmm. it sends out a minor electrical... It sends out these two little quick pulses called a doublet. She's like, well, hey, I think that's prey. You know, let's let's see. And then if, we... it, if it doesn't twitch, then okay, no, that's not prey. That's it's debris or something. Yeah. But if it twitches, then it immediately sends high voltage pulses at 400 per second to paralyze that prey so that it can eat it. And it doesn't have to be touching it because, as we all know, water is a conductor. It just has to be nearby. Can you imagine any other fish swimming by and getting hit at the same time? That's a double whammy. It would suck. But, I mean, maybe it'd be more food for the electric eel. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how, if it does that, if it if it if they can target 
just the fish or if it's just anything in that vicinity. Yeah, I don't... Now, I do, I do know to... that... May, I think it is just anything in the vicinity because I'll get to a section where it talks about the threat to humans or something in there that kind of lends it to... If you're within range, then you're SOL. Yeah. You know. I mean, if you think about it, since water is a great conductor and it's in a body of water... You would think the electrical current would just go anywhere. Right. So I that's what I don't get is that if, if it's electricity and water, how does it not affect things at a greater distance? You know, like lightning striking a lake. You could be clear across the lake and you're going to feel it. I, I don't know. That's something I, I didn't find an answer to. But with these electrical pulses, as I said before, the, they can control their prey's nervous system. You know, they can keep the prey from escaping. They can force it to move so they can locate it. And they do this because they have poor eyesight. They have very little itty bitty little eyes. Well, I mean, at that point, they don't really need perfect eyesight or right. close to it. Right, but that's where you kind of go into, did they develop this because they had poor eyesight, or did they develop poor eyesight because they had this? So which which direction did they evolve? Yeah, is it like chicken yeah. or the egg? Did did they were they able to begin using this because they couldn't see and they had to find some other way to find their prey or or like well we've got this we don't need to see yeah yeah you know, I don't know my thinking is that it's more the latter is that they had this so they're like well I don't need my eyes so they don't they don't really care so within these organs there's like. 5,000 to 6,000 stacked electroplates within those electrocytes. And they discharge simultaneously whenever uh, the electric eel is trying to catch its prey. So it's five to 6,000 of these electroplates stacked on top of each other, detonating simultaneously. So it's just like a bunch of batteries connected together in a, a series. Right. This shock can create up to 600 volts. And up to one amp of current. That's a lot. Right. Like I said before, with the, the 10, that's just the one organ. That's scary. I mean, that that's terrifying. I would not, honestly, I, if I knew there was an electric eel well, around, I wouldn't want to swim even well, remotely no. close no, to No, 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 no. But take, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the electric eel, in my opinion, of the animals that we're going to talk about is the least of your worries. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, so the electric eel with the, the levels of current that it can create, it is enough to produce a brief and painful numbing shock like that of a stun gun. So you get hit by an electric eel, it's going to basically feel like you're being hit with a stun gun, which in and of itself can't kill a person. No, but it does what it says. It stuns right. you. And This can yeah. be felt from some distance from the fish. And as I was mentioning before, this is a common risk for aquarium caretakers and biologists who attempt to handle or examine the electric eel. So they could be in there taking care of the tank, the fish feels threatened, and you've got a person in the water that's being hit by a stun gun. And you thought air traffic controllers had a stressful job. Yeah. Um, so like I said, the, the shock itself isn't enough to kill you. But because multiple shocks can cause respiratory or heart failure, and if you become paralyzed from the shock, you could drown in shallow water. So you can die, but not because of the shock itself. Yeah. So that's kind of a thumbs up, you know. <laughs> that's a positive outlook to it. 
Yes. And one thing that I, I'm not going to go into too much detail over, you know, what it uses and like all the, the minute details just because it's, it's like information overload. Right. Well, we always encourage our listeners to go and do the research themselves if they want to learn more. Right. Yeah. I, the purpose of our podcast is we're not we're not going to go into detail and in depth and like so that you can be a specialist on this. We're we're giving you a general tidbit. Kind of like just giving you direct meat and potatoes of the stew. Right. So getting back to the meat and potatoes, Michael Faraday of you know, the creator Cage. of the Faraday Cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, exclusively tested the electrical properties of the electric eel over a span of four months. Now, he did this very carefully and humanely, you know, because people always think, oh, you're experimenting with animals, you're inhuman. You know, no, he was made sure he was very humane in this treatment, um, but he measured the electrical impulses produced by the animal. And he determined that the he was able to determine and quantify the direction and magnitude of the current, uh, provided the animal's impulses were, or proved, in fact, that the animal's impulses were electrical by observing sparks c- that came off of a galvatron, galvatron meter, galvanometer. There we go. Um, which is used to detect electrical currents. So by that thing going off, that was an indicator that it isn't just the appearance of an electrical attack. It, it is electricity, which I thought was really cool that Michael Faraday tested electric eels. Yeah. And this is, I also thought this was really cool. Researchers at Yale and the National Institute of Standards and Technology think that artificial cells could be built that not only replicate the electrical behavior of the electric eel cells, but also improve upon them. And they think these artificial versions could be developed as a power source for medical implants and other microscopic devices like pacemakers. Yeah, I was thinking about that when you were reading it. Which, wouldn't that be cool? You know, that you've got this artificial device in your body that works in the same way as an electric eel. I thought they already made something like that. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe that had changed by the time I found my information. But I just thought that was cool. But the concept is, you know, impressive. Yeah, that you can take this natural behavior of a fish for hunting and surviving and and implement it into making human lives better yeah which is is, that's just cool to me so what do you think these fish eat what the electric eels Mm -hmm. what do i think they eat yeah what do you think they eat smaller fish okay uh that's about right they're largely carnivores adult electric eels are generalist carnivores they eat fish crustaceans insects small animals vertebrates um, amphibians, reptiles, and mammals. Uh, the juveniles will primarily feed on invertebrates, and the newly hatched eels will eat whatever eggs are around them that haven't hatched yet. So they eat their own siblings. Yeah. The, if hey, if if I hatch and and my brother next to me isn't, your lunch, dude. And that's they're cannibals. Nature's just <laughs> nature's vicious. But yeah, which I thought that was crazy. But these these eels are they're widely distributed across South America. During the rainy season, the juveniles would disperse and expand into new territories. And in the dry season, large groups of these fish become isolated in pools and smaller streams. And these pools that they're in are poorly oxygenated, which is why they're able to breathe air is so that they can survive in these poorly oxygenated pools. They can just go to the surface and breathe air versus having to 
to rely on gills. Yeah. You know, but in these dry seasons, you know, of course, they're if they're in the isolated pools, they're at greater risk for predators, you know, because predators can just reach out and grab them. And they can do something really cool with this is that being in the water, the surface area is greater. So it may not be as painful to a predator if it's just emitting this signal through the water. So if it's being attacked by a predator, it can actually kind of jump out of the water, slide itself up next to the predator that's trying to eat it physically touch it and apply that shock directly you're telling me the electric eel jumps out of the water slides on the predator like across its body well so like if if like a bear i I, whether or not it could be a bear i'm just saying i'm imagining a bear if a bear's reaching in this water trying to get this eel that eel will purposefully go up you know basically remove itself from the water touch the bear and electrocute it that way that electric impulse isn't being sent through the water it's going straight into the animal i know this makes me sound a little sadistic but i'd love to see a video footage of that (laughs) i kind of would too (laughs) just to to see it in action because i want to know what the bear would you know, I want to know how it would react. I, I don't know if it would be enough to kill a large uh, animal predator like that. Probably not a bear, no. Well, I don't know. Being that it's not dispersed outside of the water, I yeah. have no idea. I, I doubt it, but, you know. But despite that cool factor, these eels, they use it for more than just hunting and defending itself they use it to uh communicate uh they send a lot of the weaker frequencies and they can tell the differences between males females the differences in a particular individual so like it's like they're the sound of their voice Mm -hmm. like you can tell the difference between a person by oh well that's that's this person's voice. That's that person's voice. An electric eel, they can hear that particular frequency and like, oh, well, that's that's Joe, or you know, that's that's this one, or that's that one. They can they could sense that. They can tell the difference between each other because of these electrical impulses. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, so they don't just use the electricity to to hunt and kill. They use this electricity to identify each other. And identify whether whether or not you're male or female, or uh, if they've met that one before. Know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they can they can deliver information about uh, their like I said the the eels you know male or female about their sexual receptivity and which is that's really important during breeding season so they're not trying to reproduce with something of the same uh, gender but they they convey that information via electrical impulses like a Morse code I yeah. guess that's amazing how creatures have evolved to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And females can lay anywhere between 1,200 and 1,700 eggs during the dry season. During the dry season, they can... They lay these eggs during the dry season so that during that by the time the, the, uh, the wet season rolls around, the juveniles can expand and disperse into other areas. So the females lay these eggs, and then the males construct nests of saliva, and then the males guard those nests until the rainy season so they don't just lay their eggs and then hope for the best the males actually guard the nests until until the rainy season until the rainy season and they start to hatch and then you know 
And then the siblings will eat each other if they if, if they pop out before you do, I mean, you could be lunch. And the average lifespan, I found two different sources that says the lifespan in the wild is unknown. But another source said that in the wild, they la- they live like 15 years. But in the source that said in the wild is unknown, they said in human care, males can live 10 to 15 years and females can live 12 to 22. That's, that's a pretty long time for a fish. Yeah. In my opinion. So that's the electric eel. And you said there's other yes. animals that produce electricity to... There's one other animal that produces electricity for attack and defense like the electric eel. All the other ones I found, they just use it as a means to locate prey or navigate their surroundings, which is still pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, if you think about it, it's bats use sound to navigate. Right. So electric eels use electricity to do the same thing yeah so what other animals did you you said you came across the the only other yeah the torpedo ray is the only other animal that uses electricity by means of attack and defense but it also uses it for navigation and whatnot the electrical discharge for a torpedo ray can be anywhere from 8 to 220 volts 8 to 220 Mm mm-hmm Depending on species, and there's 69 species within four families. So it's the torpedo ray, it isn't like the electric eel where it's the only one that can do this. Yeah. The torpedo ray is kind of like a broad name for 69 species of rays that can do this. Still, I mean, that's so you're saying it could be a couple of species. Well, it. The torpedo ray is the primary name, but the species can be changed slightly. It's like they're all in the same family, but it's not exactly the same. I'm not exactly sure how that whole thing works, but the the source I found says depending on species, and there's 69 species and four families. So I assume that among those 69 species, they can all do this to some variation. But the torpedo ray is probably the most powerful of the 69 species so it's closer to the 220 range right but other species may only be able to do like the eight volts or or somewhere in the middle imagine having that skill yeah that'd be awesome they're also known as cramp fish or numb fish because of their ability to kind of paralyze you and the torpedo that we use on submarines was named after this fish uh, which I thought that was cool. These things are, are actually kind of sluggish and slow moving. And they, they move themselves in a way similar to that of a shark. Like they swim using their tail fin versus other like uh, stingrays that flap their pectoral fins. They have pectoral fins just like a stingray, but they don't they don't move them. They're, they're rigid like shark fins, but they're, that's the large part of their body is these fins. They're like a round disc with a tail. Um, but the electric eel, or the, sorry, the torpedo ray has two large electric organs on either side of its head, and it causes the current to pass from the lower to the upper surface of the body. So it's not just like through its tail. It's this, this fish's main body conducts this electricity because the head is of course in the center and then it's got these two pectoral fins on the sides and these organs are in those pectoral fins on either side of its head 
And it sends that current from the bottom surface of the fish to the top. So if you're touching this fish anywhere, it's you're going to get hit by it, not just like its tail, like a stingray. Yeah. And one thing that I found that was really cool is that these organs are governed by four central nerves um, from each side of the electric lobe. And this lobe is a specialized brain lobe that I guess upon dissection is actually a different color from the rest of the brain, which I thought that was really cool. Like this thing is so specialized that it's, it's flat out a different color from the rest of its brain. It'd be like us having a part of our brain that's a different color. Yeah. That would be, well, it would be better for the like neuroscientists. Well, yeah, because they'd be like, oh, that's what that is. You know, fortunately, we don't have that. Their electric organs are composed of hexagonal columns, like a honeycomb. Mm -hmm. Um, And each column consists of about 140 to half a million gelatinous plates. So the electroplates of electric eel... There's like five to six thousand. These things have a hundred and forty to half a million, depending on species. And that's why they give it a lot. That's why they can give a lot stronger shock. Shock. Now the marine fish, these batteries are connected like a parallel circuit, where in freshwater rays they're more found in a series, and so that's why the the marine fish transmit discharges of higher voltage, whereas a freshwater can't conduct electricity as well as salt water. So that's why the torpedo ray, which is a marine fish, has a higher voltage versus some of these species that live in freshwater, because freshwater doesn't conduct as electricity as well. Yeah. And this is where I, I was going to tell you that the electric eel is the least of your worries because the electric eel, I said, was like getting hit by a stun gun. But the torpedo ray, it's it can electrocute a prey with a current of up to 30 amps and a voltage of 50 to 200, which is like small dropping a small appliance like a hairdryer in a bathtub. Yeah. So that can kill you. Yeah. So you got stun gun versus dropping a toaster in the tub. <laughs> I'd be more worried about the torpedo ray. Yeah, I would too. Because I... <laughs> when I read that, I was like, what? That's like, su-. and I even told, I told my dad, you know, when I first learned about this, what our episode was about. And I said that the electric eel was like getting hit by a taser. And he said, okay. I said, but the torpedo's like dropping a toaster in a hot, in a bathtub. And he was like, what the? <laughs> I said, yeah, it's at that sucker. It, it won't just paralyze you or cause heart failure. That just the shock itself can kill you. Like sticking a fork in an outlet. Yeah, don't do that. No. Don't do that. The large Atlantic torpedo ray can generate enough power to produce a shock of 220 volts. And smaller rays can only muster a shock of like 37 volts. So the the Atlantic torpedo ray is like the most powerful of the electric rays. Yeah, so no wonder the Navy went with the uh, torpedo. Torpedo, right. 
But they also use these organs to detect prey, to communicate with each other. They have live egg births like sharks and they have a 12-month gestation period. In the smaller rays, they can only bear two pups at a time, but the Atlantic torpedo ray can deliver as many as 60 at one time. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of babies. A lot of babies. And the coolest thing I found out was that the Greeks used electric rays to numb the pain of childbirth, which I don't understand that. Um, but well, it was, if it worked. Well, but I mean, you run the risk of just flat out killing the person too. Well, I mean, yeah, but the Greeks at that time didn't know that. No. But it was documented by a Roman physician and they were also used for the treatment of headaches and gout. Also in Greece and Rome, the shocks of the torpedo ray were used as a treatment for not only gout and headaches, but other maladies. But I just thought it was really interesting that it was used to treat gout because that wasn't something that you would think would have been diagnosed back then. You know, I don't know. I'm not. It's hard to say. Yeah. But these things were used in medical treatments. Right. So that's pretty cool. But those are the two that use it for attack and defense. Um, The other fish and animals that I found, they use it for like navigation and like the stargazer fish, which is actually really ugly, but it has a really neat and dreamy name. That is an ugly fish. Yeah. Look up a stargazer fish. It's not pretty looking. Um, their strokes aren't strong enough to stun prey, but they use it to like distract or confuse them so that they can give them a chance to pounce or long enough for a, like confuse a predator so that it can get away. Um, there's about 51 species, one of which is extinct of the stargazer fish. They're all marine fish and they typically live in like shallow or deep salt waters. They have eyes mounted at the top of their head and their mouth is, is forward or is basically facing upwards. So it's kind of looked like it's got a underbite. Like it's, it's really ugly. So um, I wonder if that's because when they send out that electric pulse, whatever small fish or creature it's nearby gets hit that's uh, prey, it, it's easier to catch it with its lower... Well, it, I think it's, it's built like that because they bury themselves in the stand and then when they use their electric pulses to kind of distract their prey, the prey's kind of like up overhead. So with their, their mouth kind of upward facing it's easier for them to grab their prey versus having to completely turn right and the stargazers are actually venomous so they they produce electrical impulses but they're also venomous some can deliver both venom and electricity and they've been called the meanest things in creation They've been called the meanest things. The, I found a quote that says, because stargazers are ambush predators, which camouflage themselves, and some can deliver both venom and electric shocks, they've been called the meanest things in creation, which I just thought was funny. But these, these fish only have a single electric organ, which is, it's more consisting of modified eye muscles. So it's like their eyes give off these electric twitches, like sparkling so that it confuses the prey or or whatever. But I guess it can use that sparkling as like a a lure, kind of like anglerfish, how they've got that lure. Some stargazers actually have that. They have like a a worm-shaped lure growing out of the floor of their mouths that they can wiggle to attract prey. So they're along the same lines of like an anglerfish, but not all breeds of the the stargazer fish do that, if you're following me. Yeah, I'm following you. But... 
there's actually a type of dolphin. Um, actually, I think all dolphins can do this. But the Gianna dolphin, they have specialized pores that are modified hair follicles that allow dolphins to sense electrical fields. So it's not necessarily that they can produce these electrical fields, but they've got modified hairs on their body that allow them to pick up electric fields better because all of their prey produces it to, I guess, a very high extent. Now, all, all animals produce electric fields, even us. So that's where these dolphins, they use the ability to sense that to find their food rather than just looking for it. But there's a type of hornet that most hornets during the high heat of the day will be dormant. But the oriental hornet is actually very active during the day. And they found, researchers have found that there's a part on the hornet's body, like there's a yellow stripe on its exoskeleton that absorbs sunlight and generates it into a small amount of electric potential. So it's like a a solar power. So they have this yellow stripe on their body that's basically like a solar panel. So the more sunlight, the more active they are. And these hornets dig nests. So they use that solar energy to keep them going so they can dig their nests. And they'll, they'll grab a chunk of dirt fly a short distance away, drop it, and then fly back and keep digging. So it's, it's really cool that they can basically have this built-in solar panel. So they don't have to use food as their only source of energy. Right. I mean, they're they're generating it from the sun. That's That's crazy. insane, isn't it? Yeah, it's really crazy. I, I, I had no idea that any kind of creature could do that. I, I didn't either. I mean, I knew, I mean, I knew hornets and wasps were, you know, mean, evil things, but I didn't know that there was one that basically had its own built-in solar panel. Yeah. It's just, that's just really cool. The two other animals I found that are, are big electrical field users are the, the platypus and the echidna. Wait, the platypus produces... Yeah. I mean, you said all animals, even humans. Right. The platypus uses it to navigate. Now, the platypus is a monotreme, and its bill is packed with sensitive cells that allow allow them to detect sensitive electricity. And they use that for hunting underwater and underground and in the dark. Because it's a monotreme, it senses prey through echolocation. And it's one of the few species of venomous mammals the platypus is venomous so much for wanting to have one as a pet well just don't get a male because the male platypus has a spur on its hind foot that delivers a, a venom a venom capable of causing severe pain to humans so they it's a defense mechanism right but just the males have it i wonder why the females wouldn't you, you would I, think they would because they protect the eggs i well i think it's the males that actually do that i mean the females are are with the eggs but the males protect the females and the eggs oh well there you go you know like a head of the household so yeah they're venomous but they they use uh their electric receptors to find prey and the platypus electroreception is the most sensitive of any of the monotreme. So the mono the platypus, the echidnas, the platypus is like So you would think that would be the most dangerous of species. Well, not not so much because it it uses electrolocation to find their prey and it's the most sensitive, so it's really good at doing it. 
but it can't use that electricity to defend itself. It's just as like a searching mechanism. Oh. But when, and this one thing I thought was neat is that the platypus, it can determine the direction of the electric source by like comparing differences in signal strength. And that's why when it swims, if you look at footage, its head is like moving side to side. And the the source I found, it says similar to uh, a shark or like a hammerhead shark, which I always thought a hammerhead shark did that because its eyes are like on the side. So it's trying to see where it's going. No, it's it's turning its head so it can it can tell whether or not the electrical impulses it's receiving is coming from one direction or another. It has nothing to do with eyesight. And the platypus, it doesn't feed by sight or smell. Um, when it goes underwater to hunt, it closes its eyes, ears, and nose. It hunts solely using these electric receptors. So it doesn't see where it's going. It doesn't hear where it's going. It can't smell where it's going. Just using the electric receptors. That's amazing. Yeah. And they found this because they were testing if the platypus would react to an artificial shrimp that they just put an electric current through. And and it did. It attacked the, the artificial shrimp because it's picking up that electric pulse. It's not necessarily what it is. Right. So that electric pulse said, hey, this is food. So it went after it. That's kind of a tease, though, if you think about it. But for scientific research. Right. I mean, they're saying, is is how does this thing hunt? Here's here's a fake shrimp, you know. But if we give it the same electric uh, properties as a real shrimp, is the platypus going to think it's the same thing? Is it going to be able to tell the difference? And it reacted the same way. So that was telling the scientists that it's not looking at what it looks like, what it smells like like or what it sounds like it's just going off these electric receptors right and the the echidnas do the same thing um their snouts are packed with the sensitive cells that allow them to sense electricity they used to be known as spiny anteaters which i thought was cute they're equipped with electrosensors but the platypus has like forty thousand electroreceptors on its bill the long-beaked echidna has about two thousand and the short-beaked echidna has only about 400. And then I found sources of an electric catfish, which I want to say, I thought it was the same thing as like the electric eel, but this thing, the sources I found said it was like a cousin to the electric eel. Mm -hmm. It can produce about 350 volts of unpleasantness. They're about four feet long, but most species are smaller. They're typically found in Africa or in the Nile River. They're Nocturnal and carnivorous, just like the electric eel. Not known to be fatal to humans. Though large electric catfish can stun an adult person, uh, small electric catfish, it's far less and only feels like a tingle to humans. So it's it's not even as powerful as the electric eel. What if it feels somewhat like a shocking pin? Oh, like a, a joy buzzer? Yeah. Maybe. And the Egyptians actually use these electric catfish for treating arthritis pain. They would only use the smaller, the smallest of the fish because the large fish can generate a shock of three to 400 volts. And the Egyptians depicted this fish in mural paintings. The first known depiction of an electric catfish is on a slate palette of the pre-dynastic Egyptian ruler Narmer in 3100 BC. It was subtly called the angry catfish in ancient Egyptian. 
The angry catfish. The angry catfish. There's accounts of the electric of its electrical properties by an Arab physician in the 12th century. So I mean, these things it's it what these things were used medically back in ancient times, which I thought was cool. Yeah. And then the other, the last three animals I found that use it are sharks, which the shark's ability sense electricity is like 10,000 times stronger than any other animals, which is like with the platypus, it's turning its head from side to side, not by means of moving or looking around. It's using those electric receptors on its body to, to locate prey. But the bumblebee uses electro reception, believe it or not. Not no. to hunt prey. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. But not to hunt prey, but because each blossom broadcasts a electrical signal, like a hotel's vacancy sign. And if a bee or other animals already come by there and, you know, taken the nectar and picked up pollen and moved on, it switches its signals to basically say, hey, there's nothing here. Try another bud. Try another bloom. <laughs> so that way bees don't go to empty flowers. Yeah. You know, they, they can tell which ones have already been visited, how long ago they were visited. So I thought that was really neat. And then the last one are spiders. They put like this electrostatic glue on their webbing that will basically reach out and grab charged particles like water, pollen, prey. So a prey, like a, a moth doesn't have to fly into the web to get stuck. It has to fly, if it flies close enough to it, that web will basically reach out and grab it. Really? Yeah, because of the electrostatic glue. Because it's picking up the electricity given off by that moth and it draws it to it like a magnet. Huh. Yeah. Isn't that neat? Wow. I wish we learned this stuff in school. They don't teach you this stuff. Not that, I never learned any of that in school. I mean, you learned about electric eels and stuff, but only in like general terms. Right. Yeah, I never learned how, how strong they were. Like like an electric eel is a taser and then a torpedo ray is dropping a toaster in a bathtub. Not cool. Nope. Either way, I wouldn't want to be close to any one of those. It makes me not want to go swimming in the ocean. I didn't want to go swimming in the ocean anyways. I'm just saying. Not with all that fecal bacteria that's been popping up on the popular beaches. Ugh. Yeah. People are disgusting. Well, yeah. Yep, it's becoming more of a problem. I don't know if you've seen in the news. Well, you don't really read the news, but... I don't, because it's too depressing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I go through my phone and they pop up and I keep seeing stuff like, it'll say, another beachgoer got infected with uh, flesh-eating bacteria, and you're going, oh, okay. Yeah. No bueno. Nope. So. But, so yeah, pretty cool information. There's aquatic animals out there that, I mean, like the electric eel, you think it just, it gives off a shock and if it's, if you're in range, you're prey. No, it's, it's. Far more sophisticated than that. Yeah. I mean. Far more technical. It really yeah. is. Like, the whole time I was doing the research, I was like, I don't understand half of these words. Yeah, well, when I picked the topic, I just was curious on exactly how yeah, that you, worked, you but just, I didn't know like, how in-depth you know how, how electric eels work? I was like, I don't know. Let's look it up. And it took us down a huge rabbit hole of not just the electric eel, but the torpedo ray, electric catfish, dolphins, yep. sharks, bumblebees. Hornets, the whole smorgasbord of information. And it's readily available. Yes. All you have to do 
is typing something in the search bar. Google is your friend. Or Bing or Dogpile or whichever search engine you prefer. I'm a Googler. Yeah, me too. Although I was listening to a podcast recently where one of the hosts told the other guy to look something up. He goes, just searched it in Google and and then hit images. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? He goes, what the heck are you using? Bing? He goes, yeah, I'm a binger. <laughs> I'm so used to using Google. I am too. I stick with I it. I think I've used Bing a couple times, and I, but I, I, I didn't use it enough to be able to tell the difference between Google and Bing. Yeah. So, so that's your report. That's my report. Anything else you like to add? Um, not that I can think of. No, you wouldn't want it as a pet. Uh, no, no, no. I, I don't like either. fish in general. I mean, I might have a a goldfish, but I don't want one of those like self cleaning tanks or have somebody come in and clean it. Cause the one time I had fish, it was just a mess. Yeah, I didn't like it. You can have someone like Deuce Bigelow clean the tanks. <laughs> Just remember, he doesn't like it when you tap on the glass, and neither do the fish. Yeah, don't tap on the glass, people. So. And if you're thinking about becoming a aquarium caretaker, and there's going to be electric eels in the water, be careful. And definitely find how much it pays before you sign right. up for the job. Yeah. Because i got to tell you. If, if you're going to be in other tanks, and it's, you know, a lowish amount, I can see that, but... They're going to be putting you in the water with electric eels. They'd be like, you're going to have to uh, up the pay. Yep. And health insurance. <laughs> Definitely need health insurance. Health insurance. Yes. So, um, all right. Well, anything else? No. You? No, unless you want to talk about um, what we went and run. I mean, went and watched the Rush um documentary yeah it's like a documentary I, no it wasn't concert. really a documentary it was rush cinema strongiato we saw that wednesday and it was, it was more what i thought it was strangiato yeah you can pronounce it either way i've heard it pronounced strongiato you're probably right i just i'm like, just looking at the spelling it looks like it said strange and then iato mm-hmm. so i thought it was strangiato anyway yeah we went and saw that that was pretty cool it was then, like a mini concert via uh movie theater Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it was the R40 tour and then some extra footage yeah. around that. Which so. is why I said it's like a documentary because it had a lot of background information and interviews and stuff like that. And talked about Getty Lee's big book of bass that he designed more, more along the lines of like an art collection um, because the photography isn't. It's it's not just a technical picture of a guitar. It's, they're very artistic photos because he wanted it to appeal to the artist and the the average person, not just a bass guitar fan, you know, or right. a musician. Which I thought was really cool. It made me want to get it. So you could appreciate it either way. Yeah, you're if, if you're not a musician, you're not a, a bass player, you can still appreciate it because for of the, the art. For the art and he didn't they didn't write it like a textbook. They incorporated a lot of the unique information about each kind of guitar style or guitar brand. You know, what made them special, what made them stand out, what made them cool. Mm-hmm. And so I think because of that reason, it p- appeals to the average person, not just the musician. And so, like I said, just watching that, it made me want to get it. Well, 
I'm sure we will. And I'm not a musician. No, but you did like the bass guitar. You said you wanted to learn how to play bass. Yeah. I, I wish I could play the drums, but I'm so not dexterous enough for that. Watching Neil, basically his four limbs moving in four different directions at four different paces, I it boggles me. I, I can't. Like, if I'm keeping a rhythm and I realize I'm keeping a rhythm, I can't keep that rhythm anymore because I'm thinking about it. <laughs> right. Well, even Taylor Hawkins from Foo Fighters was interviewed in that movie. Yeah. And he said, they asked if he would play the drums for Rush, and he was like, no, you have to be in your pro." Well, no, I'm sorry. It was it was uh, Smashing Pumpkins' Billy Corrigan. Yeah, he was saying that you, have to be in you, your prime. you watch the stuff that, that Rush does, you know, even up to them retiring. He said that's hard for somebody in their prime to do, let alone a guy in his 60s. Yeah, you have to be like in your prime at 25. And in peak performance, yeah. and you got Neil Peart in his 60s, you know, putting these other bands to shame on level of, of skill and... The complex volume. complexity yeah. Yeah. that's the word i was looking for complexity yeah so but no it's a good book as far as we could tell we don't own it yet and i stress yet because i'm sure we're gonna get it probably but i recommend getting it anyways because like we said it's its sole purpose is really to just be if not informal at least um you mean informative? Or, sorry, not inform- informative. It is informal. Yeah. I think he wrote it to be informal, not yeah. to be a, you know, a very clinical look on it. He wanted it to be very casual and open and easy to interpret and understand. So that way you don't have to be a big music nut in order to appreciate it. Right. You know. So, buy the book. Yes. Buy everything, Rush. So we saw that movie, and then the same night, Ghost Hunters returned and aired. They aired the introduction. I'm sorry, the introductory clip. Right, the introductory episode, which is talking about basically just an interview with Grant and the new the new team members. I can't say Taps members because I don't think it's no, it's not Taps, but it it's Grant. That's back. And for any other Ghost Hunters fans, you all know that Grant left in like season eight. And so it was just Jason and Steve and Tango and all the other members. But now it's Grant, which he was always my favorite because he'd say, what the fetch? And I love it. It was just so funny. Yeah. It's Um, interesting to see him back. It is. And I think they do a great job. I mean, the... The technology that they use, some of the tools that they use is is far more advanced than what they were using before. And the things that they're able to deduce on a technical level is better than what they did before. Yeah. So it was really cool. I like how they have the same feel that they did with the original Ghost Hunters. Yeah, it's it's uh, preliminary. They go in to find rational explanations, and then when they can't, then they'll see what they have and what they can show you. Right. And I'm also talking about the way they record the show. Yes. So, you know, I'm saying, like, when they play that show for you, the, you know, the viewer, you see it as if they never stopped airing ghost hunters right it's the exact same field just there's different people which one of the lead members i'm drawing a complete blank on her name but she was in a set a couple episodes of taps with jason and grant yeah um so it was nice to see her back but she was the only one i think that was 
in any of the episodes, at least that I remember. I cannot remember her name. That's okay. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. People can look her up. Google. Google it. And no, we are not being sponsored by Google. No. We just love Google. So, and then the latest news on Tool is the album may not, well, it looks like it's not dropping on the 30th. Like but that's not because of them. No, that's because of the whole trade embargo with, tri- with China. So between us and China, can't tell I'm rolling my eyes. Now we have to wait. I, I saw somewhere it said September 9th. But, Which is not too much longer. No, but they went somewhere else with it. Instead of China uh, shipping it, they went ahead and they went with someone in, I think... Australia? Yeah, Australia. So Australia is going to ship it. They're going to produce it and ship it. So it's still coming. It's just going to be a little later than expected because of that whole ordeal. But uh, you could still get it on the 30th uh, digitally. You could still buy it. Right, which you are. Yeah. So it's not like we're stuck and not being able to hear the new tracks. It's just we're stuck in the sense that we won't have that physical copy. And with that physical copy, there's extra stuff to it, like an actual video player with speakers and USB cable. Um, I don't know exactly what it look like, looks like, but I read about it, and you can too. Right. Um, but... That's what's going on with that, so it's a little frustrating, but it is what it is. Yeah. So, so update for all you Tool fans out there. And, uh, let's see, anything else you want to cover? Nope. No? So, nope. do we know what our next subject is? It's is medical, right? in the medical, but we haven't really pinned down a topic. Yeah, we'll figure that out. I was thinking either about Huntington's Chorea, or maybe mysterious deaths or illness you know the strange illnesses the most strange or most mysterious i don't know we'll figure it out yeah. so but uh also we're on more platforms so you can hear us yes on a lot Branching more out. and we do have our facebook group page yeah inside addiction at mm-hmm. facebook.com facebook.com easiest way to find it though is you can go to our website which is insightaddiction.wixsite.com forward slash home. So if you go there, you should be able to pull up our link to the Facebook group page amongst everything else. Mm-hmm. So, and it's currently being worked on. So there's, so bear with us as we're still trying to get that completely going. And uh, you can always send us an email i mean you can contact us through that page through absolutely that page. you can email us at insideaddiction at gmail.com yeah and on that site it has that uh form that you could put your name email address and comment and you can send it it'll it'll automatically send it to us through the uh the gmail email account yeah so if you've got a question you know topic for conversation something you'd like to have us talk about let us know yep we'll definitely go through it and give you credit acknowledge you absolutely you submit a question we do a show on it we're gonna be like this today's episode is brought to you by joe yep we'll give out a give you a shout out so i don't know why i said joe i just joe smith joe smith Mr. Smith. Speaking of Matrix, I think they call it Matrix 4 right now. Remember I told you? Are they you? coming out with another Matrix? Yes. Oh my lord. So, I don't know when exactly it's Is coming out. Is it Keanu out. Reeves? Keanu Reeves and the actress that played Trinity, and that's all I know. That's all it says on the IMDb um, webpage or app. Mm. So, we'll see. Time will tell. He's Keanu's still busy trying to finish up with 
John Wick. John Wick and the, the Bill and Ted's Bill Face and the Ted. Music. Yeah, so um, so that we'll be looking forward to that. Every one of us that grew up in the 80s at least maybe. Well, no, I think that both movies came out in the 80s. Yeah, pre my generation, but yeah. I still I still group myself with the 80s kids, even though I'm an 89 baby. That's okay. But anyway, so that's our show. Yeah. And Another one uh, down in the books. Yep. And we... Hopefully we're getting better at this. We are. Take some time. We'll get there. We'll figure out. We're just trying to find our groove. Yeah. But the sound quality should be better this time. Should be. It's a work in progress. All right. Well, we will see y'all next time. Yep. Come back and check us out. Love your faces. All right. Bye. Adios.